This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it, and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. Hey, founders. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Jess Hirschfield. She's the founder and CEO of Just Enough Wines, a premium canned wine brand based out of San Francisco. They focus on high-quality wine in the convenience of a can. I love this episode, and I'm not going to do too much more intro because as soon as we get into the episode, Jess is going to give you all of her credentials, and let me tell you, they are pretty impressive. How she started out in tech and micromobility and moved into wines is a fascinating story, and I know it's going to inspire you. She was really lucky to have found an amazing co-founder, and together they have worked on some great strategies to grow a small startup brand, and she's going to share them with you right now. Don't forget after this episode that you can go to justenoughwines.com and get 15% off your order with code RENEGADE15. Let's listen in. Hey, Jess, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start at the very, very beginning. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, great question. When I was really little, I really wanted to be a dolphin trainer, <laughs> like totally different. I think I, my family had gone to like SeaWorld or something. And so I really wanted to be a dolphin trainer. <laughs> that is so much fun. I love when people answer that with an out of the box response. I'm going to tell you, I've had two other people in the past month say that they wanted to go into a similar field. So really? Yes. I don't know where it's all coming from, but I think that it's kind of a cool coincidence. When I was younger, I wanted to be a teacher. I thought that's, you know, what people did. So yeah. what did you end up going to college for? What was your career trajectory? Yeah, my, my undergrad degree was in um, human biology. So nothing actually into what I ended up going into or related to the company now. But I was really interested in public health and public health policy. And so ended up going into biology at Stanford. So that was my undergrad degree. Okay, so you're going to school, you're getting this degree. But it's not totally in alignment with what you're doing now. So what I find for startups, and this is not always the case, but I find a lot of the times founders are solving a problem for themselves. And then someone else is like, hey, I want that. And they realize that it's a legitimate business and things snowball from there. So how did you go from doing that in college to having this idea? What was the idea? Yeah, so we're, I'm the founder of Just Enough Wines. We are a premium canned wine brand. So there was a good chunk of time in between graduating from college and actually the start of Just Enough. After college, I went into big tech. I worked at Google for a couple of years, was at Uber for almost four, and then my last role was at Lime, the scooter company. Mostly the roles that I were in were marketing operations, and then I ended my my tech career doing product. So kind of bounced around in some of the big big tech companies in the world. 
That's a pretty amazing resume. And I don't think <laughs> I you. even need to do an intro for this episode <laughs> now because you've just you've laid out all these amazing credentials. So you have some really amazing experience under your belt. Do you think being in some of those companies, you know, informed your ability or your confidence to launch your own company? Yeah, absolutely. I think I wasn't ready to start a company until I started Just Enough. Yeah. I worked for some of the biggest, it's funny, my career kind of got smaller and smaller. I went from Google, which was massive, <laughs> to Uber, which when I joined was about uh, 2,500 people. Mm-hmm. And then Lime, when I joined, was like 150 people. And now my wow. my five-person startup. So I've gotten smaller throughout <laughs> my career. But, you know, I think working in those companies, it, it teaches you so much between, right. you know, how to build a company at a super fast pace, you know, this kind of fail fast, fail often, fail quick so that you can kind of learn and grow. And I also learned a lot about culture, what not to do, what to do. So I think it it really set me up for success in that way. And, you know, I, I honestly I actually tried to start a company in between Uber and Lime and just wasn't in the right headspace, I don't think. And so I think I've learned a lot to be able to be where I am today and have the company be successful in what I'm doing now. Talk to me a little bit about this other company. Was the timing not right for the idea? Were you not able to secure funding? What was the reason? Or I mean, it could be a plethora of reasons, but you mentioned not being in the right headspace. How did that kind of affect your ability to grow this company? Yeah. So the company, it was an alcoholic popsicle company. So alcohol is a theme in (laughs) my startup ideas. Yeah, I see that. (laughs) Yeah. But I think I started attacking the idea and I made recipes and did all the things before I really went into kind of the feasibility of the idea. Having now started a canned wine company, you understand kind of the nuances and difficulties of regulations around alcohol and that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, having no experience in the alcohol world, I was tackling a problem that I think was pretty unfeasible. And so I didn't set myself up for success from the very beginning of starting the company. And I think I thought I would start a company just because I like loved the thing that I was doing and the idea, not necessarily actually knowing what it takes to start a company. And so I think I just wasn't quite ready at that point. No, I'm so glad that you shared that. I think it's really important to be having these conversations and it sounds like you learned so much from it that you were able to take into this company. So the popsicles weren't in the right mindset, and now you've moved on to the canned wine. Talk to me a little bit about the ideation, because you said like alcohol is a theme, right? So yeah, what was the idea? What was the problem that you were solving? Yeah, I left my last role at the end of 2019. And as I kind of mentioned, I went from Uber and then to Lime. I kind of had had kind of found this niche in mobility, but just wasn't really fulfilled in the work that I was doing. And you know, mobility is not my passion. I think they're solving really interesting problems, but I just wasn't, it wasn't what I was super interested in. And so when I left, I tried to find something that I do love. And I've always loved wine. I've loved kind of the ubiquitous nature of it, that it can be your transition from work to leisure on a random Tuesday, but also be a part of your, you know, fancy food and wine pairings and kind of be, mm-hmm. you know, a really extravagant experience as well. So there's this whole plethora of the wine world that I really loved. Yeah. So I landed on wine as something that I really wanted to do. And then looking for a problem in the space that I was having, I would either open a bottle because I wanted a glass of wine on a Tuesday and not finish it and go about my way and, you know, have half a bottle sitting there and waste it a few days later because it would go bad. Or I would drink too much and feel bad the next morning. So I kind of wanted that more built-in 
portion control. And so land it on the cans because they give you, our cans are a glass and a half, so they give you that built-in portion control. So that's where the idea came from. That's such a cool idea. I love it. I'm also a big fan of wine and all of those pain points, I felt it in my soul. So (laughs) this is not an easy business to start. It's not like you had a family winery that you were building off of, right? So how did you go about actually making this product? Yeah, I did not have a family winery, nor did I have any experience in the wine industry. But basically, I landed on cans and did a whole lot of well, actually, backing up a little bit, I landed on the portion control size. And through research, what I first wanted to do was go into Tetra Pak, which is like what you get that cardboard, which you kind of get your coconut water out of or that kind of thing. But through research that ended up not being feasible for two reasons. One, there's two main companies in the world that make Tetra Pak. So the minimums to even get started were massive. So that was pretty prohibitive. But also one of the great benefits of the cans is that they're they're very environmentally friendly, whereas mm-hmm. the Tetra Pak is not as much because with the Tetra Pak, you have the cardboard box, but then there's like a plastic bladder in, in the middle that protects the mm-hmm. wine and holds the wine. And in order to recycle them, you have to actually take them apart, which no consumer is really going to do. So it ends right. up being not a great environmentally friendly choice. So we landed on the cans for that reason. I then actually posted on LinkedIn saying, I'm starting this company. If anybody wants to help, please let me know. And through, you know, fate or whatever, a girl that I went to Stanford with who was in my sorority, Caitlin Lowe, was in her first year of business school, reached out saying, I'd love to start a company. I'd love to help. I have an internship in a couple of weeks, but let me know if I can help. Very cool. Yeah. And so she came on board. She started to help with some consulting projects on the side before her internship started. But then COVID happened and Mm -hmm. her internship got canceled. So she had all of this time now to work with Just Enough and took on more and more responsibility and became very ingrained in the business and be ended up becoming my co-founder. I love a good co-founder story. <laughs> yeah. And I really admire founders who do it alone. I think it's mm-hmm. nearly impossible. You have to have that support system. And I am so grateful for Caitlin. She's amazing. And it's really, truly made this journey, I think, possible. <laughs> so very much appreciate her. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, between the two of us, we actually spent like a solid two months just working on the brand and figuring out what we actually wanted to do in cans Mm -hmm. in the wine world. And, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about where we wanted to position ourselves. And when you look at the can space with wine in particular, there's a new canned something popping up every day in the alcohol space, whether it's an RTD or a kombucha, but in the wine world, most of the wines that were out there tended to be a lower quality wine. So we really wanted to focus on this like premium experience out of the can, you know, make it more of a really enjoyable experience if you're having a glass and a half. So that's kind of where the actual essence of the brand has now come from. Mm -hmm. We focus on really premium wines. They're all vintage Appalachian specific, meaning they come from the same year and the same, you know, vineyard location to really play on that premium aspect. So that's where we landed on. That's really cool. Okay, so now you've got the concept, you've built it, you've got the branding, you have to go out in the world and get your first customer. What does that look like for Just Enough? Yeah, 
we decided in the beginning to focus on direct to consumer just so that we could learn how to put wine into the cans, figure out just what it takes to do that, and then try to understand who our demographic was. We actually did a very small Indiegogo campaign, like right before we actually launched, just to help get our brand out there, but also to help fund the first production. And so our first customers, I think, came from that Indiegogo campaign. We ended up raising $25,000. And I think, you know, that's where our first like early adopters came on board. Most of them were friends Mm -hmm. and family and, you know, kind of our extended network. But that's how we first got our brand out there was through that campaign. Hey, it's Shauna here. I want to take a quick break from this amazing episode to send a free resource your way. Starting up is hard. Whether you're bootstrapping or you've got some funding behind you, you don't always know exactly where to start. I want to fix that. You head to startuprenegades.com right now. You can claim your free business benchmark blueprint. That's a mouthful. It's going to help you set a plan in place so you can create your foundation for growth. And it's free, so why not? Head to startuprenegades.com right now and grab yours. Can I ask you a little bit about that? When people bring up some kind of crowdfunding, I always have to dig in because when you crowdfund, I think that there's this expectation that you like put it up on the platform and then you're going to get all of this exposure, you know, and, and you're going to get funded. But a lot of times people don't realize that they need to bring the awareness. They need to bring the exposure. So you said friends and family and your extended network. How did you go about doing that? Were you like posting on LinkedIn or emailing old friends? How did you kind of leverage your network to bring them into the fold with this campaign? You're absolutely right. I think there is this perception that I'm just going to post on Kickstarter or Indiegogo and I'm going to see this massive, you know, funding come through. And that's not what happens. So we did a couple of things. You know, we created a video on Indiegogo. I think that helps. And then we, yeah, cold outreach to our network. So I emailed all people that I knew in my network. I posted on LinkedIn. I found groups on LinkedIn that I was a part of. So, you know, my Stanford alumni group, I'm a PiFi at Stanford, okay. so my PiFi alumni group, my high school alumni group, um, you know, really finding these groups of people that we could reach out to, mm-hmm. trying to get our, our brand out there that way. We also had set up our newsletter and had like a landing page on our website that was very, very simple. It just said like coming soon. And we had collected mm-hmm. a few, I would say like 200 emails, not a whole lot, but that was one way. Not a whole lot, but 200 can be a lot in the very beginning, especially if it's people that know you, you know, they have a history with you, are engaged with you. I've worked with startups where they have like 20 people on their email list when we get started. 200 people, if they're actually active and engaged, that could be a force in, in the early days. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, what's really important is finding those people who are going to be your like true brand ambassadors from the very beginning. You know, whether it is your mom, my mom was going out telling all her friends or, you know, your close friends or, you know, someone who just really is ingrained in you and your story. I think it's super important to find those people who can share on your behalf as well. Yeah, I love that. So what happened after Indiegogo? You raised not a small amount of capital. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it turns out wine is really expensive. <laughs> um, so all of that and you know more went to our first production run. So we launched our first cans September of 2020. And we launched with two varietals. We had a Chardonnay and a Pinot Noir. 
And, you know, as I mentioned, we primarily focused on DTC in the very beginning and and Mm -hmm. driving, you know, growth as much as possible through that channel. And so we launched there, we built up a social media following as much as we possibly could. I think at that point, we maybe had like, 400 followers on Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, and just trying to grow from that standpoint. How are you selling DTC? Because of the industry that you're in with alcohol, there's a lot of like licensing, it goes state by state. So it's not as easy as, you know, opening up a Shopify store and shipping out wine to people. Were you focusing on one specific location? Or were you managing through a different kind of distributor? How does that work for you? Yeah, you're right. The alcohol laws are very challenging. It's one of the hardest parts of the business. Yeah. Yeah. We did open a Shopify store. At that time, we were only allowed to ship to California. So we focused on the California market only, shipping directly to consumers that way. And only through, like, we couldn't use Shopify's shipping platform, for example. We have to go through UPS or FedEx because that's how you monitor the 21 plus when they get the product. So we only focused on the California market to start. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. That's great. So <laughs> you, you had mentioned like throwing up a website and we use social media. What specifically were you doing? Because even like 400 social media followers, like social media, well, it's important to, to have a presence and it can be a great channel. It's not an easy channel to convert on. So were yeah. you using ads? Were you doing something else organic to really drive these leads and make your first sales? Yeah, we dabbled with ads. But to be honest, we have done very little with paid ads. Mm-hmm. So we did a few things. It was interesting because we launched September 2020. So we were in like the height of COVID. So we couldn't really, you know, go do events, which I think is our one of our biggest channels for brand awareness now. So for social media in particular, we did a few things. One is from an organic standpoint, we picked a couple of different pillars. I think we had, I believe we had four posts at the time. One was like educational, one was brand, one was storytelling, and then one was like consumer generated images. Mm-hmm. And we just like nailed on those every day. We posted on every, you know, posted every single day at that point and try to get as much content organically as we possibly could out there ourselves. And then from a non-technically organic standpoint on Instagram, we worked a lot with micro influencers. So that's been okay. really helpful for us. Finding, you know, influencers who, I mean, by micro, I mean like really micro in the beginning, like, you know, they have 1500 followers or they have 2000 okay. followers, like really small, but have like a very, you know, loyal fan base. That is how right. we started is, you know, basically no payment where we were, we were very, you know, we didn't have a lot of money at the time. So we would just exchange goods for posts or for stories at that point. Mm-hmm. So using influencers on social media was important for us. I think that's a really great strategy. A lot of times we talk about micro influencers could be, you know, 5,000 to 50,000 or 10,000 to 100,000. But even in that range, we're still looking at influencers who are expecting most of the time pay. Yeah in exchange for content. And what you're talking about is a strategy that's really, really a win-win because if they're engaged, just, you know, five or 10 people paying attention to their posts could really generate some sales for you. And for them, if they're kind of up and coming and they're looking to charge for the influencers, it's really an opportunity to put together a media kit and to say, this is what my sponsored content looks like. And this is the kind of results that I've gotten for, you know, clients in the past. So it's 
influencer strategy can be so, so hard. So I love hearing a a way that you were able to really make it effective for your brand. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I think there's this, it's almost this kind of you know, shiny objective that you want to get the person who has a hundred thousand followers or a million followers, you know, you want to get Mm -hmm. that brand awareness so quickly, but I think it's so important to find someone who really is engaged with you and the brand when you're so young as a brand. And so finding Mm -hmm. people who they had a loyal following of, of a small number in the grand scheme of things, but they were really able to get our brand out there and talk about it, which was really awesome. And I think really helpful for us. So that was our influencer strategy. And then I think we deployed two other really key strategies. One was we focused a lot on partnerships. So mm-hmm. trying to do either giveaway partnerships or we did some kits where we would, you know, pair like chocolate with, with our wine and we'd do those, oh, we'd fun. sell those kits together and, you know, that kind of thing. We tried to partner with brands that had a little bit of a bigger exposure than we had. And so we could, we could share with them both on an Instagram post and then, an, you know, an email newsletter push to try to get our brand out there from that perspective as well. And then lastly, we did email, we did email newsletters. So continue to, to try to grow that uh, base as well. That's awesome. I want to ask you something key about email, because I always find that this is a struggle for startups is, you know, you put up the email and you're like, sign up for our newsletter. It's been my experience that not a lot of people sign up for the newsletter. Like nobody wants just another thing in their inbox. Were you offering a coupon code or like a gift with purchase? What was the thing that was enticing to people to get on your newsletter in the first place? Yeah, we offered from the very beginning a, a coupon code. Uh, if you sign up for mm-hmm. a newsletter, you got 15% off your first order. I think that was the first grab. And then in the very beginning, we tried to talk a lot about kind of the founder story. And I think that was somewhat engaging is yeah. uh, my background. I think, you know, relating to the fact that I kind of left a very safe, um, you know, career trajectory to do this totally different world where wine is not, you know, not necessarily a career that people tend to recommend when you come (laughs) from the tech world. But I think there was some relating to that, which I think did draw attention to our newsletter as well, which helped. Yeah, absolutely. That that human part of the brand is so important. I think today we can shop in ways that are convenient, you know, like Walmart or Amazon have things shipped to our door. Or we can shop for brands that we have a connection with and put our money in places that we want to support or we can make a difference. And, you know, you you can cross the two over, right? Like, you know, sometimes I just need something shipped out in two days, so I'll buy it from Amazon. But I think more and more consumers want to shop with brands and founders that they really have a connection with and, and share values. So yeah, absolutely. This is amazing. Can you tell me what being a startup renegade means to you? Yeah, it's interesting. I I think I touched on this a little bit, but haven't really gone deep into it. But I, for the longest time, I think, you know, you mentioned I have on paper a very impressive resume. I never felt like I had this like very strong sense of imposter syndrome of like, how did I do this? And why me? And I'm not actually doing that. And I think for me, going into a field that I knew nothing about, 
cans are very new and a pretty antiquated industry. You know, wine has yeah. been around for forever. And you know, a lot of the feedback that we got really early on was that cans are never going to work in a pretty male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. You know, being two female founders is something that we're, we're navigating and exploring. And I think finding a lot of interesting nuances in, but combining all of those and actually seeing the company grow and seeing revenues and success has really proven to me that like, I am capable and I can do it. And I think that's part of the renegade of, you know, breaking against the mold and the norm and being able to see that it is scary, but you can do it is kind of what Mm -hmm. it has meant to me. It's so true. And clearly you are one of the renegades. Thank you so (laughs) much for being here. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online? Of course. So our website is justenoughwines.com. And then we are on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on TikTok. Just Enough Wines is our handle for all of those as well. Yes. And when you use code RENEGADE15, you can get 15% off your purchase at justenoughwines.com. So make sure you go check that out. Follow them on all the socials. Thank you so much for being here today, Jess. Thank you for having me. That was this week's episode of Startup Renegades. Thank you so much for joining me and soaking up all that brilliant entrepreneurial knowledge from today's guest. If you want to suggest a founder for a future episode or just want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at shauna.armitage. That's S-H-A-U-N-A dot A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And just a little reminder, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference and it's so important for helping the show thrive. I'll be here same time next Tuesday for a raw, honest conversation with another startup renegade. Startup Renegade.